It's Behind the Headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and the websites 27East.com and SagHarborExpress.com. With me as my co-host is uh, the managing editor of the Express News Group, Bill Sutton. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Again, Good morning. Terrific panel, as always, some of our favorites. Uh, we have Michael Mackey, who's the news director at this here station, WLIWFM. Hey, Michael. Good morning, folks. Nice to Good see to you. Good to have you. Uh, we have Beth Young, who is the editor of the East End Beacon. Hey, Beth. Hi, Joe. Good morning. Good to have good to have you back. And of course, Steve Wick, the executive editor of the Times Review Media Group, which covers Manitoc, Riverheads, Shelter Island, the North Fork, all over. Hey, Steve. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to have you here. So thank you. Um, Let's kick off um, on the South Fork. We wrapped up this week with some village elections. Um, Southampton and Sag Harbor elections uh, were both uh, kind of unusual elections this year. We saw a lot more heat than we normally do in the mayoral elections. Michael, you, we, we talked about this off air. Uh, this was really unusual this year, right? I mean, it's, it, it sort of comes on the heels of a hotter race than we saw than usual in East Hampton Village recently, but uh, it's, it shows that these village mayor elections are starting to become a much bigger deal than they used to be. Much more contentious, and as the South Fork becomes a higher profile community, uh, major media seem to get more and more involved. Not just your wonderful uh, Southampton Press and Sag Harbor Express and East Hampton Star, but uh, Newsday, of course, and then even the New York Post gets involved with What's what's happening here? The uh, I find it intriguing in, in Southampton Village. A couple of years ago, when Jesse Warren was elected, you might have thought, well, it's a fluke. It's a Southampton uh, the Village election. It's not that uh, big a deal. Uh, there were no contentious issues then, and he slipped in. And then, through the better part of his uh, two-year term, he was surrounded by controversy. Now, I will say at the beginning of the pandemic, he appeared on our WLIW Channel 21 Metro Focus and was very impressive and eloquent in speaking to the situation as it stood at the time, the science and how a local government could uh, most effectively address the situation. I thought, well, this is really interesting to watch this uh, young man mature on the job. But after that, there was continuing a controversy swirl swirling around him and it led to a campaign that, as you pointed out, was rather contentious. Yeah, Jesse's been I, a very. I was very, I was very surprised that at, at I thought it was well it's going to be close and, and 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 this young man is just getting started his political career will will probably be beaten. I see all these signs around uh, that that are against the Warren or implying that they're against uh, Jesse Warren. And not only did he win, he won decisively. And somebody's responsible for a significant increase in turnout. How did this all yeah. happen? Yeah, Jesse Jesse Warren's been a real polarizing figure, Bill. We've we've talked about this quite a bit. That um, he has a lot of very strong support in the village, clearly because he won this election very yeah. comfortably. Um, but he also um, has a lot of real detractors in the village. And one of the, one of the things that you know, Michael Michael talked about uh, the fact that it was much more contentious this time around. But there was also in both Sag Harbor and Southampton, we saw money coming in from outside the candidates themselves, that, that people were taking ads attacking the candidates 
who were sort of outside the political process. We didn't really see that in the past. No, I, I, I think that was fairly, fairly new in, in Southampton yeah. Village. And I think, you know, a lot of those ads, I mean, you know, we talked about one, one ad from the Suffolk County um, PBA Super PAC, which, which, um, which, which, which was attacking Jesse for his, you know, his stance on the local police department and Save Our Police was, was one of the big signs um, that, that was, was put out. Um, you know, and I think we saw big money coming into races. You mentioned, you know, two a couple of years ago in, in East Hampton Village and, you know, and, and Mayor Jerry Larson raised over $100,000 for a mayoral campaign, which was unheard of at the time. And I don't think we have any final numbers on the Southampton or Sag Harbor campaigns this, this year, but certainly a lot of money was raised. But but as 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 Michael points out, it's, it's about getting out the vote and, you know, and, and that's democracy. The, the more people that you can get it, get to come out and vote for you, um, that you, you win. And he got J- Jesse Warren, got a lot of people to register to vote in the village. There's some, some issues around that. And there's going to be some challenges on, on some of the people who, who were recently registered and whether they're, um, whether they're, they're supposed to be voting in Southampton village. We'll see the results of that. I don't think there was probably any, any, any great numbers, um, but we talked about this on our on our podcast, Twenty Seven Speaks, um, the, this week too. That um, that that kind of mimics some of the the national trends and the national elections and cries of voter fraud and and that type of thing. And I think it's very interesting that 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 now comes down to uh, to the local elections. Yeah, watching it from <clears throat> from the North Fork, we didn't have any. Um... There's nothing contested in the village of Greenport this year, but watching what you guys are covering on the South Fork and seeing Newsday's interest in it too, uh, I'm just wondering why all of a sudden the South Fork village elections have gotten uh, South Fork elections have gotten like this. Not just big money, but kind of the national um, anger. What what is what's beyond all this? Beth, you, you've been watching Sag Harbor for years, and this was a big election for Sag Harbor and Jim LaRocca, the challenger. Uh, took down um, Kathleen Cahey, who was the uh, mayor running for a second term. And she, it was a close race, uh, but she lost. But wait, what were the, what, there was one overarching factor, I think, in this race, correct? Um, yeah, I mean, the development changes in the village right now are, are pretty mm-hmm. big. Um, uh, one of the things, I mean, turnout, when I was, when I was covering village government back then, it's, it's turnout seems to have pretty much doubled since when I was covering it about a decade ago. Um, and I think, you know, there are a lot of more year round residents. And that's the thing. I mean, if you have a, a place in the city and a place out here, you can pick where to register to vote. You have to only read, only vote in one of those places, but you do have your choice. But you could switch um, back and forth, too, which I yeah, think yeah. is a rule, a, a change. A change that happened a few years ago that I, and I think a lot of people are doing that, that you can vote out here during during the spring and then change your vote and vote in the city in the fall. That's true. It's not that hard to do with you to do it just outside Online. of 30 days. Yeah, right. It's it's a great point, too, Beth, that that I know in Southampton Village, the turnout was much, much higher than we normally see in a village election. Michael, I'm curious what your take is about the evolution of all this with local races. Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Uh, you know, um, I, I think the contentiousness, we talked about it in an editorial 
uh, this past week that, that it's really up to candidates and voters to decide not to allow that to happen moving forward. Did you have to start holding people responsible and, and people should treat each other with respect in these local races? These are neighbors running against neighbors for crying out loud. Um, yeah. uh, what, what's your take, Michael, on, on whether, you know, what's this mean for the future of local politics? Well, first of all, I think the, the overall attitude and approach to these uh, political contests locally reflect the, the national mood, which is contentious and, and uh, adversarial. It's, it's, uh, so, and that, we were a microcosm of that here. There's more to it. We're surrounded by so much money. It seeps into every aspect of our lives, including political campaigns. So, and as we just stated, it's not that difficult to establish residency uh, in, in more than one location for each election. But it's not very easy to live in Southampton Village. You have to have money uh, or somebody has to be providing with money. Who are these people that voted? Where did they come from? How long have they been living here? Where are they living here? Are the, are the voters coming from multi-unit um, uh, uh, dwellings or are they just the right living right on the beach who was i'd like to know the demographics of who voted for warren and who voted for irving and uh, and what does this mean for the future and the uh, jesse warren's only 38 years old he's a millennial is he now a, a political uh, star on the rise i'm not sure he has his moments when he's rather dynamic and intelligent and and can present his case yet as a uh, pointed out earlier he does appear to be a polarizing figure. You know, the other, not the sure other where thing we're going, not sure where we're going here, but this, I, I think he's uh, this first election. You could you could attribute to just well, who cares about local elections? But this one was a high-profile, highly contentious, highly publicized race with the more people turning out to vote in the village than ever before. I'm not certain that's the case, but it's it's that's the claim. And Jesse Warren won decisively. So. And he brought. He's certainly he took a two, stand on national issues. Yes, and he and he brought two board members with him this time now too, because is Robin Brown and Roy Stevenson uh, ousted the two incumbent village board members, uh, Mark Parrish and Andrew Pilaro, who uh, Mark Parrish and Andrew Pilaro were really the the opponents on the village board to a lot of what the mayor was doing. So uh, Mayor Jesse Warren now has a five member board. Uh, that is largely um, made up of people who, who he's supported uh, to run for those positions. So it should be an interesting uh, situation going forward, no question. Is there one issue in the village that drove the... the, um, the what do you think, Bill? I, 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 think it, I think that it's this question has come up a couple of times. I think there are real divisions in the village and there are there are uh, demographics that are voting as blocks in the village but it's a really complicated split and <laughs> you know you, you know I I, <clears throat> I I i feel like there i mean there was the the police issue in the village but i don't know that that was an, an issue per se other than than in the campaign literature and flyers and and emails and and, and all that certainly development and, and the direction of development is always an issue in the village. But I'm hard pressed to say what the issues were in this election. It was more about a he said, he said um, type election, where in Sag Harbor, you could look at 
you know, Bay Street Theater, you could look at oceanfront development, you can look at all those issues up there. And there were certainly opposing views between the two mayoral candidates on those issues. I'm not sure what the issues are in, in, in Southampton Village. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, Lake Agawam and, you know, and, and some of the development issues, but those weren't necessarily framed in the debates and, and, and in the in the um, in, in the campaigns. It, it felt more like like just, you know, I'm better than him. No, I'm better than him. Definitely. It got poisonal in Southampton Village. And that's what's so intriguing about it, that it's uh, it generated a great turnout or someone generated a great, uh, a great turnout. And, you know, the, the funny thing is about all this Sag Harbor Village, Southampton Village, East Hampton Village. Well, it may be as expensive as hell to live out here. It is practically paradise. So the issues we're, we're addressing, they're serious, but they shouldn't create such um, vitriol. Yeah, the, the notion that the Southampton Village police, can create, police Department can create so much controversy is kind of strange. I mean, I have a feeling funny last June when they had the demonstration here in Southampton Village, uh, I came that uh, early that evening to uh, to witness it and the march through the village and into Agawam Park. It seemed like the coordination between the police and the uh, and uh, Mayor Warren and the organizers of the of the demonstration all went very smoothly. Everybody was very positive and, and supportive yeah. of each other. And, <coughs> and the speeches got a little fiery, but there was certainly no hint or, or threat of, of, of violence or or even the, it wasn't no strife. It was it was I felt like I was attending a Carol King concert back yeah. in there. I, I went to the, the Back the Blue rally and there were people from the Black Lives Matter rally who were marching in both and yeah. it seemed so we, like we people were trying to get along. It's an interesting time in the village. Uh, there's a yeah. lot of division, but there's a lot of agreement on major topics, too. So I think yeah. a lot of it comes down to, I think Bill said uh, that, that it, a lot of it was sort of a personality it was about personalities as much as anything but and i guess you'll have that with with local elections uh this is behind the headlines i'm joe shaw i'm executive editor of the express news group my co-host uh, who is managing editor of the express news group with us today beth young of the east end beacon michael mackey of wliwfm and steve wick of the times review media group michael we're in the midst of a uh pledge drive right now for our host station, WLIWFM. Um, we're very proud uh, behind the headlines to be part of that. We recently, we were very honored to have won an award from the uh, Press Club of Long Island for behind the headlines. Uh, we've only been on the air for about six months. And so that was a real exciting thing for us. Uh, we are just thrilled to be part of the, the WLIW network. And it's really crucial for people to support the station uh, whenever we have these pledge drafts, isn't it? Yeah, we're a listener-supported enterprise where we've been now uh, part of the WNET group for over a year. It's a terrific organization, enlightened, supportive, and uh, very much community-minded, and they're seeking to make a real impact here on the east end of Long Island. But we are listener-supported, and we are overwhelmingly dependent upon you, the listener, for your direct personal financial support. So once a season, about four times a year, we have a fund drive. During this June fund drive, your donation will be doubled. So we invite folks to visit us online at WLIWFM.org. That's WLIWFM.org. Or you may call us at 
That's 800-262-0717. Allow us to continue our mission to serve our unique East End community that you've listened to us talk about and remain a vital communications conduit. You know, back in when I was a very young man in the summer of 1976, I moved from West Islip, as we refer to here as Up Island, to East Hampton. And in a single afternoon, I saw more Mercedes-Benz than I'd seen my entire life up to that point. <laughs> I also, I also uh, noticed that there was a sense of community in Prince, Up Island, and it's still the case. You don't have East Hampton stars, Southampton Press, Sag Harbor Express, the Traveler Watchman, the News Review, Dan's Papers even. Then and now, those publications helped us uh, establish and sustain a sense of community. And over the decades, 88.3 WLIW-FM now has become very much a part of that fabric of communication, uh, a conduit, as I say, for keeping us all together and informed. And in order for us to continue to operate, we do need significant response from our listeners. We know the number of listeners is growing, so we're asking you to support us online by donating at WLIWFM.org. That's WLIWFM.org. Or call us at 800-262-0717. And listeners who make a single donation of $120 or a monthly sustaining donation of $10 a month will receive a choice of our brand new WLIW beach towel or a popular robust WLIW tote bag, which goes along splendidly with the beach towel, or a pair of our WLIW coffee mugs and membership in our sister public television station, WLIW, including access to Passport, our streaming service of outstanding PBS programming. So we thank everybody involved for listening and participating. And do please become a member or renew your membership by donating online at WLIWFM.org or call us at 800-262-0717. Renew your membership, become a new membership, and continue to listen and participate. And uh, Joe and Bill, thank you very much. I think Behind the Headlines is one prime example of how we're growing here with the WNET group and uh, how 88.3 WLIWFM is moving forward as we get deeper and deeper into the 21st century. Agree with you, Mike. And Bill and I will be here regardless, and people are out there are going to listen regardless, and you're welcome to listen. Uh, but if you are listening right now and, and you enjoy this kind of thing, uh, we would invite you to support it um, by becoming a member and a sustaining member. And by the way, don't sleep on that passport thing, because if you make the, the donation um, and you're able to access the entire back catalog of PBS shows um, through WNET. That's pretty awesome. Um, it's worth, sure it worth, worth the price of admission by itself. So let's get back to, to talking about some issues then. Um, Steve, I think you guys, and, and we recently wrote about it, and Beth, I'm not sure if you've been on it too. We're always talking about ticks this time of year, but this, yeah. this season has been a particularly bad season for ticks, Steve, right? Yeah, we have a good story in both uh, the Riverhead News Review and the Suffolk Times, um, just updating readers who we, we've gotten lots of contacts. I've talked to lots of people myself who just report finding them all the time. Um, it's, it's a heavy, heavy tick season. Uh, a mild winter is probably to blame for that. Um, 
the deer population in Southhold, they, you know, they keep trying to encourage uh, harvesting of deer during legal seasons, but the deer populations continue to grow. Um, and the ticks are here and Lyme disease numbers are up. Some of the more ominous ones like Lone Star are, are a bit stable, but maybe they're just not, haven't caught up in the numbers yet. But um, the, the tick-borne diseases out here, Joe, are really scary stuff. It's really, Beth, it's become a crisis, right? I mean, I, yeah, oh, yeah. I, mean, I, think, I think most of us know many people who, who are affected by all of their, their various diseases uh, from the ticks. And, and I think most of us know people who, who've, been, who've been ill from that. It's, it's been an ongoing problem that needs to be addressed. Yeah. And I mean, so many neurological conditions can be traced back to them and they're, they're, they run the gamut. I mean, from palsy to brain fog to all kinds of crazy things. Meat, and meat allergies. The meat allergies yeah. with alpha gal. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I've been surprised that in the last 10 years or so, there really haven't been, as far as I know, any major breakthroughs in how Lyme disease is treated or, or some of these diseases. I mean, it, it's, it's become sort of a management, I think, of uh, people who have these diseases. It's, it's really about managing symptoms as much as anything. Am I right about that? Yeah, you yeah, really no don't hear anything about a cure. Yeah. No. I'm yeah. so spooked, I'm afraid to go anywhere near the woods unless it's below 32 degrees. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. true. <laughs> and certainly not wearing shorts. Um, yeah. it's, oh, it's not, not an option, but Steve, is that having an impact? I mean, I wonder in the long term if, if it becomes a quality of life issue for a region like this. Well, I think, has. I, I think it's, there, there are many people who will talk about it as a public health crisis, uh, particularly the large amounts of deer, which are of course carriers of the ticks. Um, and the numbers that go up each year with Lyme disease, it's, it's definitely without a doubt a public health crisis, but it, I don't think it's going to dampen real estate interest out here or anything like that. If people yeah. don't find out till they buy their house, right. <laughs> it's infested with ticks. That's not on the engineer's report. You know, it, yeah. it surprises me too that the number the, the the number of states that are dealing with ticks is just growing all the time too. It's going Absolutely. further and further south nowadays. Um, I, I had heard about some cases in I think it was uh, North Carolina. I had no idea that that. Uh, Lyme disease even had spread that far, but it's. Oh, I didn't know that either. Or even in much colder places, or places that used to be much colder. Yeah, it's a, and Steve, the, these these are not small health issues, right? I mean, this is a significant. Oh, no, there there are people, uh, particularly in places like Shelter Island, that have been physically handicapped uh, based on early tick bites that weren't treated quickly enough, and the arthritis that comes with it. It's a really really serious issue, and it scares people. Um, you see all these landscapers out there doing all the work they do. You would think they'd be the, the one group of people who'd be the most worried about it. Um, I can't help but think it's only going to get worse every year, particularly if winters don't come back to what they used to be. I mean, what, the Bay used to freeze here uh, 20, 30 years ago. Every winter, the Viconic Bay froze. It used to be ice boats out in Orient. Uh, they're still sitting in people's barns. Um, sailboats with, you know, ice skates under them. No mm -hmm. one's seen those in years. Uh, all that's kind of gone now. And I think as long as those winters, Joe, stay warmer than in the past, this will remain a serious issue. 
Really interesting. And Beth, uh, Southampton, Stony Brook Southampton Hospital um, created a, a tick center uh, in the last few years. And so there has been a real effort uh, at outreach. And I think that, that the community is more aware of the issue than it has been in the past. Fair, fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. And they have a hotline over there. I, I believe you can get uh, translation services as well. But one of the things they're really doing is trying to reach out to landscapers who like are facing this every single day. I mean, if your work is outside, you can't hide from it. Uh, but yeah. the, they give out these little tick uh, tick removal kits. I don't know if they're still giving them out. They were giving them out at press events for a few years and they're very helpful. Um, they have all the identification cards and exactly what you need to find out what you're dealing with as far as a tick. Michael, it's a, it's a, one of the new East End experiences. If if you live on the East End, you know how to remove a tick, right? Oh my God! Yeah, that, my goodness. As you mentioned earlier, who doesn't know somebody that's had limes? I have yeah. not, but I'm living in the street or right on the beach. You can't yeah. get it on the beach, can you? Uh, <laughs> I, oh, I, are there deer there? I think it's <laughs> less likely. <laughs> I know I'm with the deer in my yard. I worry about the, just even mowing the lawn anymore because I know there are deer in my yard on a regular I, basis. I'm wearing long, long, uh, long socks and slacks to mow my lawn, even if it's 100 degrees out, just just to be safe. To uh, to best point, I'm looking at. Uh, I just looked it up. Yes, you can get your free tick removal kit from Stony Brook, <laughs> and the hotline number, if anybody uh, needs to call, is six three one seven two six tick. Um, so if you, if you need that, that's a great resource that Stony yeah, Brook really is offering. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's terrific that the hospital set that up. It, I think it was absolutely necessary that there needed to be sort of a central place where people could go to get more information. I think the flow of information has improved significantly in the last couple of years. And I think that goes a long way towards, towards making people feel a little bit safer. Uh, this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. Uh, I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. With us today, Michael Mackey from WLIWFM, this here station, and uh, also Beth Young from the East End Beacon and Steve Wick from the Times Review Media Group. Um, so let's, uh, you know, hey, affordable housing is always a good conversation to have, um, but we have a reason to talk about it uh, this week. Beth, they, they uh, both houses of the state legislature now have approved legislation that would allow the creation of the East End Community Housing Fund, which is a fairly big deal. Can you explain a little bit about what the proposal, this this was approved once before and vetoed by the governor. It's been sent to the governor's desk again. Um, what would it do? Um, well, it's a, it's a tr transfer tax very similar to the Community Preservation Fund, which is a real estate transfer tax. Um, the Community Preservation Fund funds land preservation. That's 2% on, um, land transfers above a certain amount. So there's a little leeway there for uh, lower price properties. This new fund, it's it's a half percent? I believe it is. Oh, yeah. yeah, so it would it, it would allow the same mechanism to be used for uh, half, half a percent of that uh, money to go toward affordable housing. It would be toward like down pay. Each town would decide how they're going to spend the money. So they could use it for down payment assistance programs, for helping to build uh, affordable housing complexes, uh, it does require that um, each town pass a referendum. So that would, I imagine, have to be on the ballot this November uh, if the governor signs it. 
And that's a big, I mean, it, it's supposedly less of a big gift than it was last time. But um, did any of you guys hear about what his rationale was? It was something I, about taxes, not increasing taxes. Yeah, speaking with Assemblyman Fred Thiel, I think the biggest objection the governor had the last time around was that it was a new tax. It would have yeah. added a tax and he was just not in favor of doing that. Uh, and I think it was more of a political decision than anything. However, uh, Assemblyman Thiel is quick to point out that this measure also would change the rules. First of all, I think it's important to note it's a separate, it's not, an, it's, it's in addition to the CPF. It's, it's separate from the CPF. It would be another half percent on top of the CPF. It's not part of the CPF. Um, it wouldn't use any of that money. That money would stay where it is. But it would also change and make more of the sales price uh, accepted. So I think right now it's the first um, $250,000 is exempted from the CPF and it would actually change that. Uh, I think it would double it if I'm not mistaken. So somebody when Thiel's point is that this actually would lower the tax impact on most people. But the, the beauty of it is like with the CPF, high-end um, sales would help to fund to the correction of the problem that that creates, which is that it's it's fueling the loss of affordable housing locally in the same way it was fueling the loss of open space locally. So, so, um, so it would it would raise the exemption in East Hampton and Southampton to four hundred thousand dollars and two hundred thousand dollars in uh, Southhold and Riverhead. I'm right. sorry, the four hundred thousand would be East Hampton, Southampton, and and Shelter Island. And that's a significant change, like you said, so so that that would help make up for that half percent um, tax. And, and, you know, people with the higher properties would be paying this. And it's such a great I think it's such a great thing. The the, the CPF has raised, what, over a billion dollars, right, since, since its inception to help with with land preservation and now water quality issues. Um, so if you think of just a portion of, of that kind of money over the next decade or two to be put toward affordable housing initiatives is just, a, you know, I mean, certainly it's what we, we talk about affordable housing for years and years and years, and, and there's no solutions to it. There's yeah. no programs in place. And this would actually, I think it, it would provide um, first time home, bu- home buyers with, um, with, with some added money to help pay for uh, down payments and, and all that and reduce the price reduce the cost of homes, and then would allow the towns to set up individual programs to, um, to provide and produce affordable housing, which, which I think is, is fantastic. It's so needed out here. It seems like- I think conceptually it sounds terrific. To get it done. Conceptually it sounds terrific, but it, it's, it, it does still seem uh, mind-boggling and overwhelming how you actually make it happen. How do you was, how do you defy the free enterprise system? People are going to look to be looking to get as much as they can for the property they they own. And I that was my, that was going to be my point, Mike. Roy. Yeah. I think that the, the rubber hits the road here. Uh, there'll be plenty of money to spend, but how are we going to use that money yeah. in a way that's effective, Steve? I wonder if you if you have any thoughts on what might be. I mean, I, it's I think trying to pitch the towns on building affordable housing is gonna be a very tough sale um, in a lot of communities on the South Fork. Um, as much as it's needed, the, the nimbyism really does pop up and it becomes very difficult to find locations. Yeah, it's beyond nimbyism though. We've had interviews with people out here who, uh, particularly builders who would like to be a part of this process, but need a certain density 
in order to make it economically viable for them. And for that density, Joe, you need sewers. So then it brings in a whole other issue of running sewer lines out here yeah. um, and public water out here. And it brings in a, a multitude of other issues that people are just really concerned about. Um, we've talked about this in previous shows, how every fire department out here has signs mm -hmm. out, volunteers needed. And when you talk to those fire stations, talk to the captains and the chiefs, they'll tell you that no one can afford to live here. So this, this has been a crisis for a long time. The half percent seems like a first real attempt to put some money somewhere to help with it. But I don't think it, it's going to move the ball too much farther down the road. Down the best the because it just feels to me like when you go to a builder and he says, I would need on that acre, I would need 14 apartments in order to make it economically viable for me. And therefore you have to have a sewage treatment plant on the site. Yeah. And that uh, then the, the cost goes crazy again. And how do you make that? How do you make anything affordable? It's I, I think I think one thing it does do is remove that first obstacle, which is, well, if we had the money. OK, right. well, now the money is in place, but it doesn't change any. I mean, it's still there are a lot of challenges to, to getting an effective, affordable housing program in place in these towns. Correct. Well, and does the town buy land in South? Yeah, Hall, that's, where, that's do you, where do you find the land? Where's where do you find a willing seller? I mean, you own property. Do you want to sell it? And do you want to sell it for this reason? I mean, it, you have property rights. And I mean, in some of the towns, I know in Southampton town, uh, a lot of people talk about apartments over stores and things like that. And, and obviously the sewer issues uh, limit that in some places. But I think in Southampton town, the code doesn't even allow that for new construction. Um, right. And that's, I, I mean, there are, there are things that have sat on the shelf for years and years that have never been addressed to try and create more affordable housing. And I wonder if having money, Beth, is going to, is going to solve, I mean, it's not going to well, solve any of that. Hamlet centers are really, you know, from a planning perspective, the place where it should be. They're close to transportation. They're close to the post office. They're close to where people work. Um, they're, they're, the, they're the solution to a lot of problems. I mean, the, the problem is the magnitude of the need is so enormous out here. I mean, you could build, you know, 10, 10 complexes with 30 apartments each, and you're not even scratching the surface. So, I mean, you have to do the littler solutions. And and, you know, they, they seem even smaller, but you can put them in more places. So, you know, apartments in people's backyards, they're already there. Um, so uh, you, we, we haven't even really quantified what's already there, but what people are charging for them, particularly on the South Fork. I mean, the stories I hear are insane. I don't know how anyone would live there it. without 10 other people. Yeah. And Michael, I, Michael, I said uh, in recent years that I think this is an existential problem. I think that this region is going to be devastated if it doesn't address the affordable housing crisis here. It is. Well, what eventually happens? You know, the houses burn down because we don't have firefighters to go and, 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 and stop the flames from, from burning. Well, I think I'm not well, sure. I th yeah. From a fire department perspective, I, I think the ambulance is the crucial thing. I mean, so we're going to end yeah. up with paid ambulance crews everywhere because well, you need an ambulance. You need it now. Yeah. You know, back in the 1909, the people out here, the, the well-to-do people who are out here in the summer felt so vulnerable. They actually built a hospital in Southampton. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So will, will the people in the 21st century feel so vulnerable 
that they actually buy into the affordable uh, housing initiatives and, and create situations whereby we can use this 0.5%. It sounds like a dream right now because right now it's everybody's uh, taking what they can get. And as Beth said earlier, all right, I've got land to sell. Give me my price. Joe, I, I think you hit the nail on the head where you said, you know, it's the first step. So all of a sudden you have this pot of money and then you have these towns. Look, the housing, the housing people in the towns, we've had, you know, express sessions with them and, and all that. I think they've got some very creative ideas and will continue to have creative ideas. So if you put this pot of money in front of them and say, come up with a plan on how we can use this to uh, scratch the surface, because I think Beth's right. I think whatever you do is, is just a, a first step, initial steps but come up with a plan to use this money to at least start to address the issue, um, then, then I think it's a good thing. And, and then, you, you know, no, we're not going to, this isn't going to solve the problem. I don't think the problem's ever going to be solved. And, you know, you're going to have to look at traffic solutions, um, you know, down, down the line and, and all kinds of other ways as, as, as the economy is the, as the, the area becomes more and more, um, you know, you know, wealthier homeowners and and help coming in from the West and, you know, and that type of thing. But but if this can be a first step, if there can be some plans to do some things to to get, you know, home initial home buyers to, um, you know, give them some some help and some credit with with down payments that would stick with that property. And maybe the property becomes perpetually affordable because the town's got a, a chunk of the of the ownership or whatever, then then this is is that good first step. Yeah, I don't see the towns becoming owners of, of apartment buildings and, and no. land and then, and then turning it over to a developer. I think it's really going to be interesting, Bill and everyone, just to watch how this plays out. And it'd be great sometime to do a podcast with like someone from Martha's Vineyard or Nantucket. And what do they do there? I mean, they, they, they were dealing with this a long, long before anyone on the North Fork was certainly, maybe not the South Fork, but they've probably simply given up on it. I don't know what they could possibly do up there that would help. Well, you know, there's, the some, there's some innovative programs in some of those communities that they might, might actually provide well, an example for us, Beth. If you're if you're really wealthy and you want people to work for you, you have to provide the housing at a certain yeah. point. And well, I was going to have the, the space point. to do that. I was going to make the point. I think, and and Steve, I thought you might find this interesting. Just thinking about historically, um, two of the things from the earliest days of the development of the South Fork uh, are farms mm -hmm. and the big estates, and both of those used to provide housing for the people who worked on those properties. Now there were issues with that as well, but so, I think so, it's so did the watch case factory in Sag Harbor. We've mentioned Absolutely. that before in previous conversations to best point that, that sometimes the employers are going to have to come in and, and try to find some kind of housing solutions as well. Yeah. And those are no longer options. I mean, we're just not seeing that. one example, the Wickham farm, um, they bought uh, the Wickham family recently bought a house in Kutchog near the farm on the, east edge of the farm for the farm manager and his family because mm -hmm. they cannot keep stability on that very, very busy farm and that very, very busy farm stand without having the same people each year. So they actually went and bought a house on the east edge of the farm and the farm manager's family lives there. So that, that's a small example of what you guys are talking about it used to be quite common. And two private Recently, golf clubs. We have a 
Did it reach exactly what I was about to say? The Atlantic Golf Club in Bridge yeah. Hampton recently had and a the bridge. house. The bridge yeah. as well, and, and the bridge is trying to use uh, container housing, which is sort of an innovative new way to provide affordable housing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been a trend, and, and that's created some friction as well. So uh, we will be talking about this forever on this show. I have a feeling <laughs> uh, it's not going to end. Uh, this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. With us, Michael Mackey of WLIWFM, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, Steve Wick of the Times Review Media Group. Um, and Michael, let's talk again real briefly. Um, we are in the midst of a uh, seeking supporters for WLIWFM. Tell people how they can right, support It's our June fund drive. Yes, tell people how they can support it. Give us a give us a rundown of how people can support during this June fund drive. Call us at uh, 800-262-0717. Donate on the line, WLIWFM.org. That's WLIWFM.org. Now, Michael, we're losing you a little bit there. You broke up a little bit. Give us, give us the phone number. Give us the phone number and the the website one more time. All right. So you can donate online at wliwfm dot wliwfm dot org or by calling eight hundred. Oh, Mike, we we keep losing you, and that's a shame because we want to make sure it's wliwfm dot org. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we'll get we'll get Michael's technical issues worked out and we'll try and we'll, we'll give you those number the number and the website one more time before we end the show um, but let's talk Beth about another th- announcement this week which was the on-demand bus service uh, that Suffolk County uh, has in mind how is this going to work exactly well, this is the old 10A bus route that used to go from Southampton uh, Village to Sag Harbor Village um, there have been a lot of changes to Suffolk County Transit lately, and this is the first one that's on demand. So you download an app, which I believe is called Suffolk Transit On Demand in the App Store or Google Play. And um, you can see where the bus is, um, and uh, you can request... These are small buses, up. right? These, yeah, these are not the, the big ones. Yeah, they're, they're smaller. I don't, uh, they, and they run from... Um, I guess the, the furthest west is this the uh, college campus and then uh, the Shelter Island Ferry and Sag Harbor Village and uh, in between there along uh, the Noyak Road stretch. Uh, and this is a, a pilot program, right, to see how well it works for, for right. two years? Right, yeah. So Bridget Fleming, uh, county legislature, later Bridget Fleming has really been pushing this um, since um, this route is right kind of in the heart of the district she serves. Uh, she went and ro- rode the bus on the first day. Um, I haven't ridden it myself. Uh, it costs the same as a regular um, a regular bus ticket, which is two dollars um, and twenty five cents. Uh, and you know, hopefully, it'll take some congestion off the road. Um, but it, it stops at some you know important places: um, the Shinnecock Health Clinic, the um, hospital. This is like this is called second leg stuff, right? I mean, this is always the challenge with public transportation. Yeah, the the per- last mile. <laughs> yeah, the last mile. That's it's it's like the the 
the challenge of getting public tra- transportation to work on the South Fork is well, trying to get people from the stations to where they they eventually want to go. Well, is this, this is replacing a bus route that was was canceled due to fiscal stuff, right? So, I mean, this is a better alternative um, to operating a full bus, or am I am I incorrect on that? To- um, well, uh, I guess they're going to see if it's better, right? Um, if, if they make it more on demand, because uh, I, I imagine the ridership fluctuated. Um, um, so I guess I need to find out when when the peak demand is. Right. Um, so uh, it, it and, and it's, and it's adopting. It's kind of- That's right. This service that they're, they're putting inserting now replaces the 10A. The 10A was underutilized. Right. And it was a, there was sparse ridership on. I'm very familiar with it for various reasons that they go way back to my days with Hampton Jitney. I don't think it was a, a very good design. Having said that, there were people who depended upon it and, uh, and, uh, and what severely compromised their ability to get around. So this alternative, as Beth said, they're seeking to uh, find out, is it better? Is it, is it, and does it work? Of course, none of this, none of the transportation to Suffolk County transit pays for itself. It's provided by the uh, Suffolk County Transit and the uh, taxpayers of Suffolk County. But uh, without it, God knows how the traffic would be like. The S92 Suffolk County Transit bus, which runs from Greenport around uh, to uh, East Hampton, is, uh, it's got to be one of the most utilized bus services in any uh, resort community in the world. It's intense. And it's important to, to note, this is aimed at year-round residents who, who work here, basically. This is not uh, for rides to the beach or anything like that. This is really about uh, locals and providing that service for locals, right, Beth? Yeah, it's Monday through Friday, too, so it doesn't run on the weekends. So it's but, very local-centric. But if you got two and a quarter, you can get on, Joe. I mean, they're not going to Well, it's and, 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 and that's, <laughs> I, 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 I and think I it's, the student it's, discount and the senior discount. It's like 50 cents, maybe 75 cents. I, I think it's really interesting that, that they're using um, kind of like rideshare technology um Mm -hmm. you know a modern a modern technology to you can you can hail a bus on on your on your iphone you know or or whatever your smartphone and hail a bus and see where it's at and and it'll meet you and pick you up and for two and a quarter that sounds like a pretty good deal are there no routes just on demand yeah it's the regular route but but you it'll it'll kind of I think there's there's stops where I mean you have to be near a stop and you have to get to a stop you know as you're as you're hailing it as you're calling the bus. I see. They're not coming to you. It's not coming directly to you, no. But it's still it's interesting that it does use some of that Uber and Lyft technology. Boy, Uber and Lyft have just changed the whole conversation in the last few years about how we move people around, and I'm surprised actually that there are some communities in the United States that have have used Uber and Lyft for this uh, last mile uh, to try and get people to, they've actually, I know there are some communities that have supplemented uh, the Uber price to make it either very, in, very inexpensive or free to get from a bus stop, for instance, or a train station to a final destination to, to try and encourage more of it. And also about the, the uh, commuter connection is coming back, I think, soon too, right? I think it's coming back next year is the plan. September. Right. I, okay, yeah. Oh, is it September? Yeah. Oh, okay. I was thinking it wasn't coming back till next year, but it's actually coming back in the fall. 
I, I believe that's what we reported. Yes. Okay. The trains and the, and the coordinated um, shuttle services um, that obviously went by the wayside during the pandemic, but, uh, but it, and it, I mean, and it never ran in the summer anyway. So that was always kind of a fall to fall to spring thing anyway. Yeah. The idea was kind of to get teachers and people who work at the hospital here. Right. Yeah. Cause one, one of the hard started- parts is you can't bring like your, your t- tools if you're a tradesperson on the trade. Yeah, that's a big part of it. But <laughs> yeah. I think the thinking was, as you said, if it's about teachers and people who work at the hospital, that gets a lot of cards off the road. And I think it, the sad thing about it was, I think that program was really starting to gain momentum right when the pandemic hit. And I think yeah. it changed a lot of people's daily routines. And now we have a new economy. So it'll be interesting to see how, uh, how that affects uh, the commuter connection going forward. Michael, I think now that we have you back a little more solidly, uh, do you want to give the number and the uh, website again for the June fund drive? Yes, I've moved my seat up uh, near to <laughs> Hill Street. I'm watching the traffic go by now as we speak. You, you can donate online at WLIWFM.org, WLIWFM.org, or call us at 800 800- Two six two zero seven one seven eight hundred two six two zero seven one seven. We're in our midst our June fund drive. Your donation will be doubled, and we have many gifts to offer you with a donation of one hundred twenty dollars or a sustaining donation of ten dollars a month. Beach towels, robust uh, tote bags, a lot to offer. But what we most have to offer is what you're listening to right now a variety of uh, unique public radio programming that serves the East End. And without your support, we would not be able to do so. So please donate online at WLIWFM.org or call us at 800-262-077 so we can continue to advance our coverage of the East End through uh, news, information, and entertainment. And, uh, you know, listeners, please, we have Michael on here with a can and a string. (laughs) so we can update you know we can update him and get him an actual telephone for next time well we have a terrific studio here and someday uh, (laughs) we'll all be in here together and uh, and it's coming it's coming coming soon by the way congratulations michael because the station also won an award from the press club of long island for uh news station in general and news coverage Yes, that's just the beginning of what we can look forward to accomplishing. In the first decade of the 21st century, we won many Press Club of Long Island awards. And now with the WNET group at .3 and operating as 88.3 WLIWFM, there's terrific promise and much to look forward to. And that's despite great. The six, despite the uh, lack of affordable housing, despite the traffic, we continue on, and uh, and while there are some hellish aspects to living here, it truly is paradise. So thank you for listening, and and uh, Joe and uh, Bill and everyone involved with Behind the Headlines. I think it's a terrific program, and uh, let's keep it up. I think I can speak for Bill and say that we're proud to be part of the WLIW team. We've had great fun doing this show so far, uh, and uh, all of our colleagues on the East End, we, we rotate them in pretty regularly and we've had most of them on. These guys here are regulars, um, and it's great to be able to get together virtually at least 
and have this conversation. Uh, we've got about a minute left. Um, is there anything on the agenda coming up in the, in the, the coming week that you guys are working on that's interesting? Fireworks. Fireworks for sure. Parade. The parade is coming back in Southampton Village finally this year. Uh, that's a big deal. Fireworks in Orient. Yeah. Fireworks in Jamesport. It's We're starting to making its way back. Starting to see a little bit of a return to normalcy, I think. And that's certainly welcome after what we went through last year, no question. Um, so uh, uh, with that, we'll wrap up this chapter of Behind the Headlines. Uh, thank you very much to our guest today, Michael Mackey, uh, WLIWFM. Thanks, Michael. Thank the, you very much. Thank you, Beth. Uh, Beth Young, yeah. who is the editor of the East End Beacon. Appreciate you being here. Good to be with you. And Steve Wick, the executive editor of the Times Review Media Group. Thanks, Steve. Thank you very much, everyone. Always fun, Bill. Thank you for being here. Uh, and you and I will be back here next week at the same time for Behind the Headlines. We'll have another conversation. We certainly will. Thanks a lot, guys. Right. Great show. Thank you, guys, very much. <laughs>